I know that's a crazy thought for a pastor to say, but for those that may know me for a little bit of time, that's actually a miracle. And so um, I was looking around this morning thinking, I just love people. Um, as people were coming in this morning and we were talking to people, we were having discussions even around the front here and around the back, and I just realized this is incredible. It's incredible how God has placed us in a family. And um, is it all right if we jump straight into the Word of God this morning? Acts chapter 2, if you've got your Bibles, Acts chapter 2. How many know that there was a significant thing that happened as we see recorded in Acts chapter 2. And this was when the Holy Spirit came. Who's here this morning that's happy about that? Literally on this moment, the day of Pentecost it's called, the Holy Spirit came. It literally birthed the early church. The Holy Spirit came. Acts chapter 2. We read about what happened on this day of Pentecost. This is an incredible story because it tells us what is possible when the Holy Spirit is poured out. And Jesus spent three and a half years with his disciples. He, he, he was crucified. He died. He rose again. He ascended to heaven. But before he did, he said, wait in Jerusalem for the gift of the Holy Spirit. He said, wait. And there was 120 people, the disciples of Jesus, that were waiting for the Holy Spirit to be poured out. This gift, this promise of the Holy Spirit. And it's incredible the outcome of what happened. We read here in Acts chapter 2, the outcome of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit was incredible. We see a group of people who were timid, who were locked in a room, afraid that they were going to be the next ones that were going to be killed. We see them here where Peter, who was timid, we see him with boldness where he, where he, where he stands up and preaches a sermon. And in verse 41, it says, They who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that very day. This is incredible. Day one, 3,000 people saved. How many know that's pretty, a pretty good start? Day one. The crazy thing about this, the birthing of the early church, was that that was not the pinnacle. That was not a once-off event, and then everything moved down from there. It, it goes on and tells us that this was part of their normal life. In verse 47, it says, They were praising God, and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. How many know that it wasn't a once-off event on day one? This was an ongoing thing where the Holy Spirit had been poured out, and it equipped people to go and do the very work of Jesus. People were saved, people were attracted, people were being transformed, they were being discipled, they were being built up, and they were going out and doing the, the very same thing. We often look at this passage and think, this is incredible. By the way, this, was, this is revival. This is revival. 
Revival in its simplest form is simply those places of death becoming alive. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your workplace. Maybe it's your neighborhood or whatever it is. Maybe it's our church. Those places that were dead now become alive as the Holy Spirit breathes upon them. And this is revival. But how many know that although it was a sovereign move of God, it wasn't random? There's no denying that the Holy Spirit came in such a sovereign way, but how He came was not random. I would like to propose this morning that the Holy Spirit landed on, came into an environment of people that were actually doing more than just playing cards. Jesus said, wait, and they were actually doing more than literally just sitting around waiting. We see from Scripture that there was about 10 days of waiting. And then the Holy Spirit came. I would like to propose that the Holy Spirit was always going to come, but it was the environment, it was what they were doing that actually dictated how long it took for the Holy Spirit to come. There was something that happened in these 10 days where it became a point where they could actually host the very presence of God. And not just for day one, but ongoing. And this excites me because the Bible actually gives us some clear things of what they were doing. Verse 42, it says, They were devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. What we're doing today, fellowship coming together around worship, around prayer, around the teaching of the Bible. This is what they were doing. Breaking bread and to prayer. Prayer once again being a cornerstone, a foundational element that the early church was birthed upon. Prayer. It goes on and tells us more about what they were doing in this moment and what they continue to do, the host of the very presence of God. Verse 43, it says, Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. The reality is that the supernatural was normal in this context. Verse 44 says, All the believers were together and had everything in common. There was such a unity here. There was so much community, such unity that brought them together. Verse 45, it said, They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. I would like to propose that there was radical generosity. Radical generosity. What this passage tells us is that there was some ingredients, there was some fundamental elements whereby the early church was birthed. How many know that God hasn't changed? How many know that the kingdom, the gospel is actually simple? It doesn't make it easy but it's simple. It was never meant to be complex. And there were some foundational elements that we see in the early church that not only attracted the, the, the Spirit of God, but actually enabled them to carry it. Here we are 2,000 years later. How many know the church is strong? Yeah. I don't believe that we are a diminishing group of people 
that by the, the time the Lord comes back, he's going to have to scrape someone off the ground and take to heaven. I believe that when the Lord returns, his bride will be glorious. It will be strong. We will literally be ushering in an end time revival. As we've seen here, one of these elements that the early church was built upon was generosity, radical generosity. And so I want to talk about that this morning. Actually, we're going to talk about this for a couple of weeks, for two weeks. This whole thought about radical generosity. How are we doing? That's good. (laughs) You know, there's a difference between giving and generosity. Giving is what I do. Generosity is who I am. Giving is an action. By the way, it's a healthy thing. But generosity is who I am. It's about my identity. If we were to come in this morning and share about some mission partners over in another part of the world that are ministering to young kids who are starving, how many know that most of us would be moved to some sort of action? whether it be prayer, whether it be to actually supporting them, whether it be to financially giving them, whether it be to do a short-term mission trips, whatever it would be, most of us would be moved to some sort of action. The fact that you're moved by need is actually a healthy thing. But a lifestyle of generosity means that my giving is not dependent on whether someone shows a video clip or shares something about missionaries in another world. My generosity is someone who I am, that no matter if there's a, there's a video clip played or a pastor gets up and gives a, a message about giving, it doesn't actually determine how I am and how I approach life. Acts chapter 20, if you can turn there. And in verse 32, this is the Apostle Paul speaking. He says, Now I commit you to God and to the word of His grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I've not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Let's say that together this morning. It is more blessed to give than to receive. When I read scriptures like this, and I shared about a few weeks ago, sometimes we move, move over the scriptures that, that, that we may not enjoy. But the reality of this scripture is that Jesus is actually giving a promise saying, it is actually more blessed to give than receive. Oftentimes when I've read this scripture, this is, this is how I've, I've thought about this scripture. I've thought, the person who receives the gift is being more blessed because he, it, it's, it's, better, it, it's, it's more blessed to give than receive. But I think Jesus is saying a bigger thing. He's actually saying, hey, even with the giver, you're actually more blessed when you give than when you receive. This sounds crazy, doesn't it? You're saying, hang on, you're saying that as I take 
my money, as I take my time, as I take the, the expertise I have and give that to someone else, that I can actually be more blessed at the end of it than the moment I started. Yeah, it sounds crazy. Welcome to the kingdom. It's like an upside down kingdom. The kingdom of God goes actually against what society tells us. Jesus goes on and says, hey, if you want to be great, the way we get to greatness is by going low. There's all these things about the kingdoms and the teaching of Jesus that do not make sense. They they make no logical sense. And yet here he says, you are more blessed when you give than when you, when you receive. The Passion Translation says it this, giving brings a far greater blessing than receiving. Giving brings a far greater blessing than receiving. If you've been around church a little while, you would know a concept called the tithe. It's 10%. And this morning, this message is not about tithing. Someone was relieved. (laughs) But I would like to propose this morning that 90% of your income plus the blessing of God will give you a lot, 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 a lot more than 100% of your income with no blessing from God. I'm specimen A here, by the way. There's just something illogical that doesn't make sense that as we engage in a, in a generosity and a giving to God, something happens in the exchange. It doesn't make sense. Accountants cannot work this out. Not even Hayden. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Incredible. A few years ago, it was getting close to Rachel's birthday. And so I decided that it would be nice if the kids, if Mia and Tom, would like to go and buy Rachel a present, buy their mum a present. And so I gave them $20 each. And we head to the place where you buy all your presents, which is Kmart. I mean, Myers. And so we're standing outside of Kmart, and I've got, I think Tom was maybe four years old, then Amir was six, and I gave them a $20 note each, and their eyes just lit up. They're looking at the, the entrance to Kmart, and it's like, is this for me? I said, yes, but you need to buy a present for mum. And Mia was, Mia understood and she was good and Tommy's eyes just lit up. He said, can I buy anything in the shop? I said, anything you want for mum. And he rushed in the door and I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to find them in the jewellery where the fluffies where the fluffy uh, slippers are, where the pillows are, where the scented candles are. And Mia did make her way over there, but Tommy went straight for the toy aisle. 
And Mia finally picked something for mum. I think it was a pair of slippers. And we finally made our way over to Tom and he had spent 15, 20 minutes. And I walked over to him and I said, Tom, how's the present for mum going? And he looked up and he said, yeah, great. I just can't work out whether I should get the Buzz Lightyear or the Woody. And to be honest, Rachel gets a little bit nervous when the kids give her birthday presents because she knows that I don't have a lot to do with it. I, I, think, I think we have had, is it four hats in a row? Four caps in a row and Rachel doesn't wear caps. So anyway, so, so Tommy's there, he's convinced. He's like, I'm not sure if I should get the T-Rex I do love the green T-Rex dinosaur, the Woody or the Buzz. And I said, you can get whatever you want in this store for mum. And he said, yeah, I'm going to go with the Buzz Lightyear. <laughs> and so we went home and they wrapped up their gifts. And Tommy wrapped up his gift, Mia wrapped up hers. And the next, I think it was the next day was, was Rachel's birthday. We came out, they were really excited. Tommy had a cheeky grin on his face. <laughs> and Mia gave her present to Rachel first. I think it was the slippers or the hat, I can't remember. But anyway, it was amazing. And then all of a sudden, Tommy realized something. His countenance changed. He came to me with a present. He said, Dad, I don't want to give this present to Mom." And being a good dad, I had grabbed an extra scented candle. <laughs> and he saw the way that Rachel was enjoying the present that Mia gave, the slippers that fit her perfectly. And he said, Dad, he said, can we go into the room? I don't want to give this present to Mum." And so we carefully opened, pulled the buzz light you're out slipped the scented candle in, put the sticky tape back on, and all was saved. But how many know that Thomas learned an incredible lesson that it is more blessed to actually give than to receive? And although we laugh at it because it's a funny thing and kids are funny and all that type of thing, it's so true for us that this is a promise. It's like the design of God. We have the most generous Father the most generous heavenly father. And I love the, the, the phrase that we use around here a little bit, the, the fact that, that God actually bankrupt heaven for you. I love that because what it means is he held nothing back. Even to the point of sending his own son to humanity to save us when we're in desperate need. He literally bankrupt heaven for you and held nothing back. This is the heart of the generous Father. And as we people are made in His image, it also means that when we're generous, it actually makes sense. It actually fits our design, is to be generous people. I didn't have to sit down with Thomas and look at the Scripture and say, hey Thomas, I know exactly what you're feeling. Let me show you a Scripture and try and find it and say, look, it's better to give than to receive. There was something inbuilt in him that knew that it is more blessed to give than receive.
Maybe this morning when you're hearing about giving, you're thinking money. It, isn't, it is part of it, but it's so much more. It's a life of generosity. When we give, we can give our time. We've got people in this church, in this church family, that, that faithfully, weekly give their time to serve us, to serve this church, to serve this community. It's incredible. We have people that give and serve and financially support this local church. It's incredible. The things that we're experiencing here are from not just giving that's gone on right now, but for the last 40 years. I remember the stories about how this church, physically this building was built, literally was a need, and, and the existing pastor said, hey, we need to build a church, and everybody gave. I think it was within two weeks. Something crazy like that. Two weeks, people sacrificially gave. It was like the book of Acts here. They thought, hey, there's a need. We're going to sell whatever we can because we believe in the vision of this church. This church was built on radical generosity. So we can give our time, we can give our resources, we can also give our expertise. These are all ways that we, we allow this generous life that God has given us just flow out. When I was thinking about this issue of generosity, I was thinking about my own life and the very thing that stops me from being generous. The number one thing that stops me from being generous is fear. Is fear. Fear often stands at the doorway between us stepping into a generous lifestyle and says crazy things to us. How many know that fear can talk to us? Fear starts to talk. If you've never heard fear talking, you probably haven't taken enough risk. Let me tell you what fear sometimes says. Fear says, if I give, I will never have enough. Faith says, I represent my generous father when I give, and he has more than enough. Fear says, if I invest with my time, my family will be neglected. Faith says, as I seek first the kingdom, grace is released over my family. Grace is released. Fear says, if I give, I won't have enough for my retirement. Faith says, he will supply all my needs according to his riches in glory. Fear says what I have to give is little and insignificant. Faith says, I give the little that I have to the one who supernaturally multiplies. Fear says, I need to hold on tight to everything I have. Faith says, in response to the radical generosity of God, I hold things with an open hand. The way that we journey into a generous lifestyle is with faith. Is with faith. All of us here in one level or another are generous people. 
Maybe it's with your time. Maybe it's with your finance. Maybe it's with your expertise. But I would like to encourage us all this morning to, as we engage in generosity, is engage our faith. Engage our faith. I'm going to finish in like five minutes. But I just want us today to think about the generosity that that God has given us. The fact that he held nothing back. What is our response? We see here in the early church, it was a group of people that attracted the Holy Spirit to be poured out. And they created an environment that sustained the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And one of those key elements was radical generosity. I'm just going to pray in a moment for all of us. Actually, and you can close your eyes now. Just as we just engage with God in this moment. Maybe you're here and you're like, hey, I want to step into a generous lifestyle, but to be honest, the things that I have to give is so small and insignificant. Maybe you've given in the past and it's been a small amount and you're just like, hey, I just don't see the point. I just can't see my life making any difference. Maybe it's the time you've spent and maybe you feel that your capacity is so reduced in this season. I want to encourage you to allow and take that little that you have to the God who multiplies. We see the story of a boy who had five loaves and two fish. The little that he had, literally a lunch, a boy's lunch. And it fed 5,000 people in the hands of Jesus. This morning you might be, hey, my capacity right now is, is I'm flat out walking to the neighbor across the road and giving them an encouraging word. Maybe that's where your capacity is at. I want to encourage you to take the little that you have and just allow God, the Holy Spirit, to breathe upon it. Sometimes because we feel that we're insignificant, we pull back from giving him out of a generous place. Or maybe you're here this morning and you feel like you've got nothing to give. There's a story of Peter and John who went to the temple one day to pray. And here there is a great need in front of them. It was a man who was begging. He wanted money. And here we hear this story about, you imagine Peter and John walking along and they're like, check their wallets. It's like, oh no, we forgot our wallet. We forgot our money bag. Or 
or maybe they didn't have a lot of cash that week, but the point is that they were walking along and had no money on them. They had no ability to give this man what he needed or what he thought he needed. And maybe you're here and you're like, hey, I don't really even have anything to give. The reality is like Peter and John, they had the living Jesus Christ living inside them. And in that moment, they said in in amongst their frustration, I'm sure that they were moved by compassion. I'm sure that they wanted to give this man some financial gain. But in that moment, they said, hey, this is what we do have. We have the resurrected Jesus Christ living inside of us and get up and walk. I would like to propose that Peter and John, they had spent three and a half years with the most generous person on the planet. And even when they were in a situation where they felt that they literally had nothing to give, they had learned a lesson from Jesus, that with Jesus, we always have something to give. So let me pray for us this morning, Lord, just as we're engaging with you even right now. Lord, we thank you that the Holy Spirit is here. We thank you, Lord, that you've come and you want to actually encourage us in this, in this area of generosity. Lord, may we be like the book of Acts. May we be known by our radical generosity. Lord, may we, may we build community. May, may we experience such a radical generosity that, that there would literally be no one in need. Lord, may people come to this place, this church, this family, and just see a radical generosity that is so different to what's experienced in society. Lord, that it may point them to you. Lord, may you take our lives. Lord, just as we live in response to a radical father. Lord, may you take our lives as we follow you in this area of generosity. Lord, we pray that as we go deeper into a lifestyle of generosity, Lord, that we would be able to create an environment where your Holy Spirit can come. This is what we want, Lord. We want revival in our city. We want revival in our church. We want revival in our families. And Lord, we thank you for that. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.